we have a big de debate in our family about when is the best time to start decorating for Christmas. And some people in our family think that to start decorating before Thanksgiving is perfectly acceptable. I'm on the other side of that saying we have to wait till after Thanksgiving to start decorating or even listening to Christmas music. Yet in my family, there's an active rebellion going on to get ready for Christmas, to prepare and decorate for Christmas. Why don't you take a moment and just comment in the comment section today about what your family does. What is your, when, does you, when is it the appropriate time to start decorating for Christmas? All right, we're here actually in the, at the lights of Christmas at Warm Beach Camp. And we're at the camp. This year is going to be a drive-through event at the camp. And you're going to be able to drive through and see all the different scenes of lights here at Warren Beach Camp. And you'll need to go online and get tickets ahead of time. So know that before you come up. And it'll be a great event. We found out that they start decorating for Christmas in August. That's way ahead of everybody else. And they have over a million lights, probably about a million, 200,000 lights here at the Lights of Christmas to celebrate the birth of Christ. And so are you ready? Because Advent is a time of preparation. And so think about all the preparations that we do to get ready to celebrate. Now in the days, previous generations, it used to be that you didn't decorate uh, until the night Christmas Eve. And I remember hearing stories from grandparents and others that we wouldn't actually decorate. They wouldn't decorate. In fact, the kids would wake up on Christmas morning and find the presents and the tree and the tree decorated all on Christmas morning, not before then. Because the 12 days of Christmas actually start on Christmas Day. And right now, we're in the first Sunday of Advent. And so in the first Sunday of Advent, we're getting ready, preparing to celebrate the birth of Christ and to celebrate what God is doing in Jesus and sending Jesus, the light of the world. And so it's great to see all these Christmas lights because it reminds us that Jesus is the light that's come into the darkness. So in the text we heard read today, we heard the text in Genesis read today where God said, let there be light. And we heard in the John text today about Jesus being the light of the world. Notice that both texts, Genesis and John chapter one, verse one, start with the same words, in the beginning. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. And in that moment, there was chaos and darkness in the world. And when God said, let there be light, what God was doing was creating order out of the chaos, create, bringing light to the darkness. It's the same thing in the text with John, that when God sends the Son, Jesus, it's God bringing the creative light and the life-giving light of Christ into a dark and chaotic world. Same idea. It's interesting that in the first time that God said, let there be light, in Genesis, that the whole universe was created. We're standing here in front of the star scene, and it reminds us that God created the entire universe, all the stars. The universe the observable known universe is 46 and a half billion light years across. That means it would take that long, 46.5 billion light years for light to travel from one end of the universe to the other. And within the universe itself, in the observable universe, they estimate that there are 1 billion trillion stars or lights just like the sun that governs our day. And so think about how big the universe is, how awesome God must be 
to create such an expansive universe. And we know that, uh, the, according to the theory anyway, is that there was this singularity about the size of an electron and it burst onto the scene. It's called the Big Bang Theory. And the first thing that would have been seen in the universe was light. God said, let there be light. And there was light and it created the whole universe that we see, the stars at night, the stars that we see around us. And it evokes in us, if you ever stay, we ever stand out at night and we look up at the stars, we notice how big the universe is and how small we are. And in that moment, we can feel like God is just huge. And, and a word that we use, sometimes use is that God is transcendent. God is so far above our own existence, it's hard to even comprehend God. And it might lead us to think that God is somewhere off in the universe, somewhere distant from us because the universe is so expansive. And that's why it's so important that we not just read Genesis, but we read John. Because John tells us that not, God is not off distant in the universe, in the expanse of the universe, but that God came near. God came to be with us and present with us. So God is not only transcendent and beyond our imagination, and so we stand in awe of wonder of God, but we also stand in awe and wonder of God because God came near. God became one of us. Every time jo uh, Joan Osborne sings that song and asks the question, what if God were one of us? You know that song? What if God were one of us, just a slob like one of us? I always want to say, God is one of us in Jesus. God came near in Jesus. Now, a lot of folks, not only do they think that God is far off and, and, and transcendent, but they also sometimes have this image and perception of God as like this mean, vengeful, unfair, jealous God. In fact, atheist Richard Dawkins describes the Old Testament God from a selective some from some selected verses that he views God as this vengeful, jealous God. And why would anybody want to follow that God? And to be honest, if that's our view of God, I would agree. I would agree. Who wants to follow a God like that? Right? But Jesus is God. That's what John is saying, that Jesus is God in the flesh, God in human form. And when God came near to us, it revealed to us who God is. And so God is is love. And when we see the life of Jesus, we actually see that in Jesus. So if we really want to know who God is and what God is like, we look at the life of Jesus, not at selected verses out of the Old Testament. And in fact, people will say, well, did God change? Actually, no, God hasn't changed. God, the God of the Old Testament is a God of love, and the God of the New Testament is a God of love because we see that in Jesus. What's changed is not God. What's changed is our understanding of who God is. But God has always been love. God is love, it says in 1 John. And Jesus reveals that to us as well. So if you've been thinking that God is against you or that God is some, some uh, God that needs to be appeased in some way, then remember and look to the life of Jesus, the one who came near, that God became flesh and went to a cross for us. And when Jesus went to the cross, he was actually doing that as God. So it's not like Jesus had to appease God's jealousy or, or somehow, but that what was happening is that Jesus was God. This is self-sacrifice. This is self-sacrificial love in God because God and Jesus are the same. 
And that's what John is teaching us. That's what John is telling us. So that brings about also this awe and wonder of God's love for us in Jesus. Now, that same power that created the universe is the same creative power revealed in Jesus, the light coming into our dark world, into our chaos. And this power has the power to recreate us because of that. So a lot of times we may pray the serenity prayer. Uh, We may pray that, you know, God, help me accept the things I cannot change. I'm still trying to accept that people decorate before Thanksgiving uh, as I joke around with my family about that. But sometimes we think that we're the ones that can't change, so we just accept ourselves the way we are. We say, well, accept the things I can't. I can't change myself. Well, in some ways that may be true. In other ways, with the source of Jesus, the one who said the word of God that said, let there be light, we actually can be recreated in Jesus. I personally know people who are alcoholics and are now sober. In fact, I read on the news or heard on the news today that alcoholism is on the rise in our society because of of quarantine, that more moms and dads are actually turning to alcohol as a way to cope with all the stress in their lives, particularly moms. Moms seem to be taking on more of the responsibility and more of the weight of the responsibility of the household with everybody at home. And so more women are turning to alcohol to numb the chaos, the darkness, the stress of their world. Jesus said, we can recreate. We can be recreated. The word of God, the in flesh, God in flesh says that you and I, humanity, we can be recreated without alcohol, without drugs, without all these things. I've seen drug addicts be free of their addiction. I've seen bitter people become forgiving people. I've seen skeptics become believers in Jesus. That's the power that God has in our lives. The other thing that Jesus comes to do is bring order out of our chaos. In Genesis, when the light appeared, the light was bringing order to the chaos. When light comes and reveals truth to us and the light of Christ shines in our lives, it brings order to our chaos as well so that we don't need to fear the dark or fear the chaos that's going on around us because Jesus is with us. The light of God is with us, illuminating us, illuminating our world. Were you afraid of the dark when you were a kid? I know I was. I know there was times where dad would, my dad would have to come into the room and check the closets to make sure there were no monsters in there. How about you? Are you afraid of the dark? Maybe even still as an adult. There's a story of a child that I learned recently that a child was staying at a friend's house then the, and the this was an acquaintance of their parents and so they were staying in the guest room of this house and so the host of the house came to tuck them in that night and then left the door open a crack and said do you want me to leave the hall light on do you want me to leave the light on because the host was concerned that the child might be afraid of the dark and the child turned to the host and said no I'm good you can turn out the light Jesus is my light in the darkness Nobody can teach us better than a kid sometimes to let us remind us that we don't need to fear the chaos or fear the darkness around us because Jesus is our light in the midst of darkness, which is why we're here tonight, to remember the lights of Christmas, that Jesus is the light of Christmas. And you know, the other thing that happened in Genesis and happens in John is that not only did God, the light, bring order to the darkness and the chaos, But if you keep reading in Genesis, on day four, God creates not light, 
but lights, stars, sun, moon, to govern the day and the night. In the same way, Jesus comes in our world, light into darkness. God said, let there be light, and Jesus came, and the word of God came to us to create light and darkness. And in the same way that there was light, God also wants to recreate us to be those luminaries, those lights in a dark world. And so we're actually, as human beings in Christ, we're to be the lights of Christmas ourselves. We're to shine the light of Christ to others, to let them know that God is a God of love, not a God of vengeance, not a God of anger, not a God of jealousy. We're supposed to reveal, we're supposed to be God's luminaries, God's lights of Christmas this season, to let people know that they matter to God. And we hope you know that this Christmas, this Advent, as we celebrate that God cares about you. God came near. You matter to God more than anything else in the universe, you matter. And we want you to know that this Advent, that God came near in Jesus. Let's pray together.